morning. Happy Easter. He has risen. Amen. So if you, if you are not familiar with that, um, we'll just try that again. Uh, for about 2,000 years, the church has been saying this. He has risen. He has risen Amen. He has risen. Praise God. Hey, listen, it is good to see you. I know you've been welcomed already this morning, uh, but I just want to welcome you again. So glad that you're here today. So thankful that you're connecting with us online. Uh, I just especially want to welcome those of you who are first-time guests with us. We are thankful that you are here today. Our prayer is that God would work in your hearts, whether you've been coming here for many, many years or whether this is your first time here, that God would move us, uh, that we would be changed, uh, that by the power of his word, we would move from where we are to where God wants us to be. And I just believe God's going to do that for all of us this morning. Uh, I'd love for you to do me a favor. Uh, On your way in, you received one of these Connect cards. If you would all pull that out and hold that in your hands. If you didn't get one, if you raise your hand, we've got amazing volunteers in the back who are going to bring you one right now. So there's a stack on that table back there. And if you just slip your hand up, we've got some ushers that will bring you uh, one of those cards right now. But I'd just love for everybody to have this. If you are not planning on filling it out, just pretend. Make me feel better, right? Just kind of hold it and like do this with your hand or something, but just play along to the level. And so there's some up here at the front, um, and, uh, but just keep your hand up. They'll bring you one. And what I'd love for you to do is all of us, whether you're on staff here, whether you've been coming here for 40 years or whether this is your first time, if we would all fill this out, we do this every Easter. It helps us in a couple of ways. Number one, if you've been coming here a long time, it just helps us update our contact information. You make sure we have the best contact information. But it also says, how can we serve you? Our purpose as a church is to serve you. And if we don't know your needs, if we don't know how we can best resource you, then we can't do our job, which is to help you move from where you are to where God wants you to be. And so we want to know how we can better resource you. And so uh, after that uh, connect and contact information, uh, there's just some questions. And uh, I'd love it if you'd all fill this. Even if you're from out of town and you're like, I'm never coming back, that's fine. Fill it out for us. We'd love to know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, resources. What resources are you interested in? Uh, how can we help you? We just want to know as a church how we can resource you and bless you and equip you. On the back side, there's an opportunity uh, for us to pray for you and for us to celebrate with you some praises. Um, I'd love it if everybody would just take a moment and fill out a prayer need. Um, I promise you every one of these cards will be prayed over uh, by our prayer team, by our pastors. Uh, we want to lift up your needs uh, before the Lord. If this is a, a request that you would like to keep kind of private and not go to the whole prayer team, uh, you can just mark on their staff only. If you mark staff only, they will come to me personally and a very small group of our pastors. And to know that we'll just be lifting you up, uh, and we would just love to lift your needs up and pray for you. Uh, And then there's a question that just says, hey, we'd love to know what brought you here today. Uh, There are a lot of things that might have brought you here today. I do believe this. I believe the Holy Spirit brought all of us here today. I believe there's a divine appointment for all of us, whether we've been coming a long time or we're new. Uh, But there were probably other things. Just check all the ones that apply. Uh, We'd love to know what brought you here. And whatever brought you here, know that we're glad that you are here. So uh, once you fill those out, uh, if you'll just hold on to that card, because at the very end of the service, 
we're going to respond with this same card. And there's a final question there at the bottom that has the A, B, C, and D. And we'll just wait for that. Now, don't fill that out quite yet. Uh, but at the end of this message, we're going to talk about what those mean. And uh, all of you are one of those letters. And we'll give you an opportunity to say, hey, this is the one that I am. And we'll talk that through. So hold on to that card and we'll come back to that at the end. But let's, uh, let's jump into the message today. And before we do, would you pray with me? And would you just ask the Lord to help you receive what God has for you today? I know this. Um, if, if we hear from Brad Fink, uh, we won't be changed. But if we can hear from the Lord today, uh, our hearts and our minds can be changed. And so my prayer is that you won't hear from me. You'll hear from the Lord today. And so can we just pray and ask the Lord to speak uh, and move me out of the way? Father, help us in these moments to be receptive to the power of your word. Lord, I pray that you would move in us and transform us from the inside out. Lord, only you can do this. We invite you to speak. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, we are going to jump in with the Gospel of John today. We're going to hang out mostly in John chapter 20 and John chapter 21. Uh, but before we get to that, we got to look together at John chapter 19, verse 42. John chapter 19, verse 42 says this, Since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. After the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, the Bible says that there were two characters, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who were the people that had permission to remove Jesus' body from the cross and to bury him in a tomb. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the difficulty and the gruesomeness of that task for Joseph of Arimathea and for Nicodemus, but for them to take Jesus off of the cross... They would have needed to take his hands, and they would have needed to, with all of their might, rip his hands over the head of the nail that put his hands on the cross. They, they wouldn't have been able to pull the nails out, and they didn't have claw hammers back then and all the things that we have now. And, and so it would have been a very gruesome task, pulling his hands off of the cross, after his hands were removed, he, he would have slumped into a sheet and they would have then had to rip his feet over the head of the nails in just a gruesome, gruesome way. And, and after doing that, the Bible says that they took 75 pounds of spices and myrrh and aloe and, and they would have embalmed and prepared his body on the outside with those and wrapped him with a linen cloth. And, and one of the last things they did... Before they sealed the tomb, and after they had wrapped his body, is they would have taken a linen cloth, and they would have wrapped his face with that cloth, separate from his body. And they would have placed it over his face and wrapped his face, and, and in a significant and symbolic way, they would have said goodbye to their Lord and their Savior. And after wrapping him, after covering his face and wrapping his face, they sealed the tomb. And for the disciples at that moment, all hope was lost. Because their Lord and their Savior, who they had put all of their hope in, was gone. 
their hope that they would be delivered from the Romans, their hope that they would be set free from bondage to an enslaving nation was all over. And, and for them, it was a difficult, difficult moment. And then what's important for us to notice, though, is that, that passage about this cloth that covered Jesus' face. We see the resurrection account in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can read with me. If not, the words are on the screen. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And she, she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved. Now, you need to know this. This is the Gospel of John. The other disciple is John. John's writing this, and John just says, hey, the one who Jesus loved. And I love this because earlier in the Gospel of John, John says, for God so loved the world. Um, and then John's like, yeah, but I'm the one who he loved. And so, and, and for some reason, the Lord just says, all right, he lets him do that. It's, it's good for you to know today you are the one that Jesus loved. Uh, John was able to say that. You're able to say that. And uh, he was the one that Jesus loved. And she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. And we don't know where they've put it. So at this point, Mary thinks there has not been a resurrection. There has been a body robbery. Uh, and she thinks somebody has stolen it away. And Peter and the other disciple, this is John who's writing this, started out for the tomb. Now just pause here for a second. I don't know if you find humor in the Bible, I find humor in the Bible. I, I like to find humor in a lot of places. I think God has a sense of humor. I think God gave us the gift of laughter. And it cracks me up that this next passage is in the Bible. So there are only 10 verses that are given to the resurrection account in the Gospel of John. And John dedicates one of them to tell us this next very important piece of information. Um, this is it in John chapter 20, verse 4. They were both running... But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He dedicated a whole verse to like make sure everybody knew he was faster than Peter. Um, I love that. I think that's fantastic that God allowed that uh, to make it into scripture. And so, um, you know, just so that all eternity we know that Peter was not as fast as John. That's really good. Verse 5 says, he stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived. I mean, he was way late, though. I mean, he finally showed up, right? Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. And he also noticed the linen wrappings there. So these are the wrappings that were around Jesus' body. But verse 7 says this. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up, and lying apart from the other wrappings. It's just an interesting verse. Some of you maybe have read that verse many, many times and just breezed right on by it. Verse 8 then goes on and it says, Then, then, the disciple who had reached the tomb first, by the way, I mean, he's like, Faster. Did I mention I was faster than Peter? Did I mention that? Yeah. Oh, I, okay. Just wanted to make sure you knew. Also went in and he saw. What did he see? He saw that cloth that was folded neatly. 
and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. So what, what was it about that folded cloth that made such an impact on them? Why, why was that such a big deal? Why, why was it that before this moment they thought there was a grave robbery, but then when they saw this folded cloth, everything flooded back to their memory? All of the passages of Scripture, all of the Old Testament passages that foretold of the Messiah, all of the times that Jesus over and over and over said to them that he had to die, but he would rise from the grave, that, that one day he would be betrayed and that uh, you could tear down this temple, but three days later it would be built back up, that all of the things that Jesus said, all of the promises, all of these Scriptures, immediately when they saw that folded cloth, came to mind. Why was it so significant? I, I want to talk about the significance of this, and, and then, I, then I want us to look at some things that took place after the resurrection. The significance of this is really rooted in Jewish tradition. And Peter and John, they would have known these things. They, they would have been very familiar with these traditions. And, and the tradition had to do with the master and the servant. And the master and the servant, uh, every good servant would know these things, and every master and every person uh, that had ever been served would know these things, that there were customs of the day. And the custom of the day was, is if you were the master of a table, and the servant had prepared the table for you, and you were finished eating your meal, you would take your napkin after finishing the meal, and, and you would clean your hands, and, and you would wipe your hands off, and you would clean your beard, and all these things. And then after you were done, you would take that napkin, you would wad it up, and you would throw it on the table. And when you were done, and you were finished, you would wad the napkin up, you would leave it on the table, and that was a clue, and that was an indicator when you left the table to the servant, I'm finished, you can clear the table. I waited tables for a long time. I always appreciated it when people would let me know that they were finished so that I didn't get stabbed in the hand with a fork, you know, when you go to take that dessert tray or whatever. And so this was the indication to the servant, I'm finished. But if the master, after his meal, needed to get up for some reason in the middle of a meal, he would take that napkin and he would fold it very neatly and he would lay it beside his plate. And when he got up and walked away, that was an indication to the servant. I'm not finished. I'm coming back. And they would fold it neatly and they would walk away and the servant would know, I'm not touching that plate. Because the master is not finished, the master is coming back. And for Peter and John... When they saw that grave cloth, listen, there's, there's only a handful of verses, eight to ten verses in the resurrection account of the Gospel of John. One of them was to prove to us that John was faster than Peter. That's really important. Um, one of them is about this cloth. And it matters. It's significant. Jesus was saying to his disciples, I'm not finished. I'm coming back. And when they saw that folded cloth, all of the things that Jesus had ever said came back. And they knew, they knew that he had risen. And I, I, love, I love this passage. The, the title of today's message is He's Not Finished. And here's, here's what I want us to know. He's not finished 
still today. He's not finished with us. And and John uh, gives us, like I said, about eight to ten verses in this resurrection account. But there's a whole lot of verses after the resurrection account in the in the chapter 20. And in chapter 21, there's even more verses. So there's a lot that takes place after the resurrection. The same is true in Matthew's gospel, in Mark's gospel, and in Luke's gospel. A very short passage that gives us the resurrection account, but then a whole lot of things that happened after the resurrection. And so what I want us to do today is specifically look at three of the encounters. We know from the other gospels, Jesus appeared about five times on that first Easter Sunday to different people. He appeared at least 10 times that we know of to people after Easter up until his resurrection or up until his ascension into heaven. Um, But we want to look today at just three of these that are in the gospel of Mark. And the, the first person that Jesus appeared to was not one of the 12 disciples. It wasn't one of the religious elite. It wasn't the the Pharisees. It wasn't the priests in the temple. The first person that Jesus appeared to was someone who was brokenhearted and and, and just distraught beyond all belief. And and here's, here's what I want us to know. As we look at these appearances of Jesus to different people, we can learn something about how Jesus wants to appear and work in our hearts and in our lives. And the first person is someone who is heartbroken. Mary is completely heartbroken. Peter and John, the Bible just says, and they just take off and leave. They head home. They're just gone. No compassion for this poor woman who's left outside the tomb just weeping, bawling her eyes out. And they just like, take off. Um, here, here's, here's what it says in verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept... She stooped and looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And and here's, here's what I need us to know. If you are here today and you are heartbroken, if you are here today and you are carrying some pain and some heartache, and, and you are just emotionally distraught, Mary was in that place And there was something about her state that actually caused Jesus to come to her. And she was the first person that Jesus appeared to. The the angels actually see her crying. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, when you're you're in a dark place, when you're just heartbroken and emotionally distraught, and and you're just in one of those chaotic states, sometimes you just feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and that God can't hear you and that there's no way that God even sees you. And what I love about this passage is it lets us know that all of heaven sees us when we're crying. When, when we're heartbroken, that there, there's something about that state of us that draws heaven to us. These angels see her crying. In verse 11, it says, Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they have put him. And so she's still thinking that this is not a resurrection, that this is a grave robbery. And she turned to leave, verse 14 says, and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And the first appearance of Jesus after the resurrection is is to someone who is just heartbroken and emotionally distraught. And in her pain, she didn't recognize Jesus. In her pain, she didn't know God was present. 
And I'm just telling you, this is how it works. When you're in a place of pain, you start thinking God's nowhere around. God doesn't care. He's not close. We miss the presence of the Lord when we're in a place of pain. She didn't even know he was there. But what we need to know is scripture tells us God is drawn to the hurting. He is actually drawn to the hurting. It's a promise. In Psalm 34 verse 18, it says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He is literally attracted to the brokenhearted. So if you're in a place of pain this morning, if you're in a place of just, you're emotionally distraught and you're just hard, you might be smiling on the outside and wearing some Easter, you know, you're looking good on the outside, but on the inside, you are a mess. You need to know this, and you can write this in your notes. Jesus isn't as far away as you think. Just look for him. Jesus isn't as far away as you think. Just look for him. Mary was convinced he was taken, and she was just distraught. And here he was right there with her, and she didn't even notice him because she wasn't looking for the risen Lord. And I just need us to know that God's, God's Spirit is present even here in this place. And if you will just say, Lord, I want to find you. I want to look for you. He's closer than you think. He's not as far away as you think. And so the next appearance that I want us to look at of these three encounters is uh, this, this guy named Thomas. Uh, you might know him better as Doubting Thomas, the poor guy, doubts one time in his life and he gets tagged with that for all of history. Um, I'm sure he will appreciate that um, when we all get to heaven and we say, oh, you're Doubting Thomas. Oh, good, good to meet you, Doubting Thomas. Um, but in John chapter 20, verse 24, it says this, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And we don't know why Thomas wasn't with the others. The Bible doesn't tell us why. He might have been making a milk run. He might have been going to get some bread. He might have like, you know, there was like, hey, somebody's got to go, you know, paper, rock, scissors. He got stuck with it and had to go. Maybe that's what happened. Or maybe the rest of the disciples were got, had gotten together and Thomas said, you know, guys, I'm, I'm just done. What's the point of getting together? It's all over. Maybe he was already doubting before that very moment. And what happens is, is very intriguing because Jesus appears to these other disciples. And then in verse, chapter 20, verse 25, it says this, Then they told him, We've seen the Lord. So the other disciples come to Thomas, who had missed out, and they say, Hey, We've seen the Lord. Now, that could be two ways, right? You just don't know how to read this. Tone of voice is everything, right? It could be like, hey, you should believe we have seen the Lord. Or it could have been like, we saw the Lord. I, I don't know which one it was. I, you know, like, hey, you missed out. You shouldn't have been there. You know, like, why, why weren't you there when you were supposed to be where you're supposed to be? My dad used to tell me as a kid, always be where you're supposed to be, right? They, that you'll miss out on the things that God wants you to experience if you're not where you're supposed to be. So Thomas wasn't where he was supposed to be for some reason, and he missed out. Now, here's what I know about doubters. If you're here and you're a doubter, or if you're here and you know someone who's a doubter, Sometimes we, we, we have these ideas about doubters, but this is the thing about doubters. People who have doubts, they're not bad people. They're, they're not people, uh, they're, they're just people who would say, I haven't had an experience that you've had, and because I haven't had that experience, I have doubts. 
Sometimes a doubter will look at somebody who's a believer and they'll be like, why do you get so excited about this whole Jesus thing? What what is it that's causing you to get so excited? Why why do you sing these songs? Why do you do these things? Why do you you read your Bible? Why do you go to church? Uh, They haven't had an experience and because they haven't had an experience, they have doubts. That's what Thomas was going through. Thomas missed out on seeing the resurrection Lord. And because he missed out on seeing the resurrection Lord, he had all kinds of doubts. And, and Thomas goes as far as to make some lines in the sand. If you're here and you're a doubter, you've probably done this. I won't believe until, right? I won't believe unless. And that's exactly what Thomas says. Thomas says, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand in the wounds of his side. Here's what you need to know. Jesus is not put off by Thomas's doubts. Jesus is not driven away by Thomas's doubts. In fact, your doubts don't keep Jesus away. They actually draw Jesus to you. This is, a, this is what happens in John chapter 20, verse 26 through 28. Eight days later... The disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, and suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. Jesus had to say that because they were really terrified because the doors were locked, and then he just popped into the place, and it really made them super scared. And so he said, hey, peace be with you. It's okay. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, are you serious? I mean, I was with you for three years. I told you I was going to have to die. I told you I was going to rise from there. I mean, come on, Thomas, seriously? He, he, he then pulled him aside. He was like, Thomas, really? I mean, I, you saw me on the cross. Now you see me here. Isn't this good enough? No. That's not what Jesus said. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then in verse 27, he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. You know, if we would have been Jesus, this is the way we often deal with doubters. Really? Seriously? I mean, you can't believe. I mean, God's done all this. and, And we try to rationalize and we try. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus met Thomas where he was. Jesus actually came to him, and Jesus actually offered him some of the things that he said, I won't believe unless. But then Jesus asked something of Thomas. He actually said, I I want you to reach out, or I want you to put your hand into the wound. I want you to put your finger here in my hands. He actually asked Thomas to take a step and to do something himself. And and listen, you need to know this. This is how Jesus works. Jesus will take 999 steps, but then he will come to you and he will ask you to take one step. And he will ask you to receive what he's offering to you. He will not force it upon you. And for Thomas, that was all he needed was to have that one step to reach out. And then he said, my Lord and my God, and he believed, and he had an encounter that he had missed out on, and because he had an encounter, his heart was changed, and if you're here today, and you're dealing with some doubts, listen, welcome to the club, there have been many, many people throughout scripture, Old and New Testament, that had doubts, there are many people in this room who are following Jesus right now, who were filled with doubts at some point in their life, God's not afraid of your doubts, 
Jesus isn't afraid of your doubts. Keep asking your questions, but take one little step of faith and just say, Lord, I, I want to be receptive. I, I want to be receptive. In your, in your notes, you can just write this down. Number two, Jesus isn't bothered by your doubts, so reach out to him. Just reach out to him. The third account, though, is my favorite. Um, the reason it's my favorite is um, I, I know that there are many of us that have brokenhearted places right now. I know there are many of us who have doubts, but all of us have been failures at some point. And I know that's like, you know, not the warm and fuzzy, hey, we're all failures, but, but we have all tried something and failed. We've all thought we were going to do better and we, we fell short. There, there's just been those moments in all of our lives where we've done that. And I love this passage because the, the next passage is this appearance to Peter. And Jesus comes to Peter. Peter's had a rough weekend. Peter, on Thursday, had said, I will never betray you, Jesus. Never. Even all these guys over here, they might leave you. I'll never leave you. And Jesus said, actually, before the cock crows, before morning time, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, no way, Jesus. Absolutely. I will never deny you. And yet, that night... Before the rooster crowed, before morning, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And he was devastated. And, and, and he, he just felt like his disappointment in himself, his shame that he had fallen short, felt like that put a gap in a significant way that, that he was no longer worthy to be a follower of Jesus. And what you need, and this is true for us, right? We, we have failures. We fall short. We say, God, I'm going to do this, and then we don't do it. God, I'm going to do this, and then we don't do it. God, I'm going to do this, and then we don't do it. And at some point, we just go, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy to be a follower. And in the Gospel of Mark, when the angel gives the message to Mary to go and tell the disciples what has happened, the message is, hey, go tell the disciples he has risen and to meet him in Galilee and tell Peter. There's like this additional, hey, don't forget to tell Peter. Why was that added? It was added because Peter wouldn't have felt like it was an invitation for himself. That he had somehow uh, excluded himself from the invitation because of his failure. There's something about shame, and there's something about failure, and there's something about disappointment that makes us feel like we can't get to God, and God can't get to us. And that's simply not true. Our failures actually attract Jesus to us. I'm not saying you should fail to attract Jesus to you, I, but here's, here's, what I, here's what I do know. We look at the Gospels, and Jesus' ministry was to sinners. Jesus' ministry was to people who were broken. Jesus said, I have come not for the healthy, I've come for the sick. The sick are the ones who need a doctor. And so sometimes when we're sick and we have sin in our life, we think somehow that's repulsive to God. And yet, according to the Gospels and according to Jesus' ministry, it was people who were filled with sin that Jesus was drawn to. People who had failures. People who had missed the mark. And here's, here's the thing. You can't disappoint God. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Disappointment is the gap between what you expect and what actually happens. And that's where disappointment is. So I expect this but then something else happened and there's a gap between my expectations and what actually happened, which creates disappointment. Here, I don't know if you ever thought of this. 
you can't disappoint God because there's never been a time in history where God has gone, I didn't see that coming. God has never done that. God has never said, wow, shocking. Had no idea, didn't see that one coming. God God knows and he loves us. Jesus knew that Peter was gonna deny him. Jesus told him, you're gonna deny me three times. And and Jesus still loved him. Jesus still cared for him. And somehow Peter felt like that that separated from him. And so uh, we know that uh, the first person that Jesus showed up to was the the brokenhearted. The second person was those that uh, had had all kinds of doubts. And this third person is a failure. And in John chapter 21, um, you can read the story on your own. We don't have time to read all of it, but it's a great, if you haven't read it recently, go read John chapter 21. Jesus shows up to all the disciples. They're out fishing. They're a hundred yards away from the shore, and Peter sees that it's Jesus, jumps out of the boat, and swims to the shore. I mean, that's just, Peter's a nut. Like, he just just swims a hundred yards. That's a long way. I don't know when the last time you swam the length of a football field. That's a long way. I think I would have stayed in the boat and said, let's just row faster, guys. Let's just row faster, but he swam. So um, he gets there. They have breakfast together. This is what it says in verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Let me pause here real quick because this is important. We read that passage and we just kind of breeze right by it. You need to know this, though. The entire New Testament was written in Greek, okay? So no matter what translation you like, it's not the original unless you're reading Greek, okay? So all of the New Testament was written in Greek, and it was translated into English. The problem is, is Greek is a much more robust language than English. We are not as sophisticated as we think. We have a very simple language compared to some languages around the world. And some of you who are bilingual, you're like, yeah, I know. But English has one word for love, one word. Greek has four words for love. And anytime you read the word love in the New Testament, it could be any one of the four Greek words used for love. And in this particular passage, this matters. There's storge love. It's the the love between a parent and a child. It's kind of natural affection love. There's eros love, which is where we get the word erotic, and it is physical love. There's phileo love, which is where the city of Philadelphia gets its name, the city of brotherly love. Phileo is the love between friends, the the love between brothers. Um, And then there is agape love, and agape love is with no condition. It is, it is literally, there is no condition on which I will stop loving you. That's what agape love is. In this passage, John 21, 15, this is how it goes. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me without condition? And I think before Thursday, Peter would have been like, you know it, Lord. I think before Thursday in this failure, Peter would have been like, yes, of course I agape you. But because of his disappointment and his heartbreak and his failure, he responds with, yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I phileo you. I love you like a friend. So Jesus says, do you agape me? And he says, Lord, I, you know that I phileo you. He kind of says, I, I just can't, I can't get to that place. And what I love is Jesus' response. He just says, that's okay. Feed my lambs. 
Jesus is the only one who will do this for you, by the way. Culture will not do this. Jesus is the only one who will say, your past is your past, and I'm willing to use you, forgive you, redeem you, and actually use you for my purposes to, to feed my lambs in the future. The whole idea, the cancel culture of our ta- day today, somehow your past ruins all of your future, Jesus would say, listen, culture will say that. Jesus says, no matter what your past is, you can be redeemed, you can be healed, you can be restored, and you can be used for good purposes in my kingdom. And so then, in verse 17, or in verse 16, Jesus says again, he repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I phileo you. I love you like a friend. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And then, in verse 17, this is powerful, don't miss this. A third time, he asked him, and then Jesus changes the word. Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a friend? And what's really important about Jesus doing this is, Jesus says, it's it's okay. Peter, I know you're not there right now. I I know you failed. I, I know that before Thursday, you would have said, I agape you, but you're so disappointed in yourself. You're so heartbroken and ashamed of your failure that you just can't get there. Jesus says, it's okay. I'll meet you where you are. Do you phileo me? Peter says, yes, and... Uh, what, I, what I love about this is, in your notes, you can just write this down. Jesus isn't giving up on you, so stop running. I mean, we think our failures separate us from God. We think that our sin, and, and that there is truth. Scripture would say to us, our sin separates us from God. But you need to know, it's not that God wants that separation. God is still pursuing you with his grace Sin does separate us from God, but Jesus says, listen, I'm going to continue to pursue you, and that separation doesn't have to be there. I'm here to redeem, to forgive, to restore, and to bridge that gap between you and the Heavenly Father. And and so there's this uh, amazing time uh, in Revelation 3.20 where much later, uh, remember the, the Gospel of John is written by John that's younger and uh, much later, uh, when John is an old man, he's on exile on the island of Patmos, Jesus appears to John again. Again, there's this appearances where Jesus shows up, and he appears to John again. And, and in that appearance, Jesus says this to all of us in Revelation three twenty: Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. And this is, this is to all of us. You just need to know if, if you're a hundred steps away from Jesus, he'll take 99 of them. And he'll just ask you to take that one to open the door. If you're a thousand steps away from Jesus, he'll take 999. And he'll just ask you to take that one to open the door of your heart and receive his goodness. And so he wants to be in relationship with you. I love that this passage doesn't say, hear my voice, open the door, and I'll help you be more religious. It's not what it says. He says, I'll, I'll sit down with you. We'll be friends. We'll have a relationship. 
God, God doesn't want more religion out of you. He wants a relationship with you. And that's what Jesus makes possible for us. So in your notes, you can just write this last point down. Jesus is still making appearances. He's not finished. His Holy Spirit is here today. And he is available to work on us and in us and through us. So if you have that response card, I'd love for you uh, to pull that response card back out, that connect card. And on, on the back of that, there's just that sermon response, A, B, C, and D. And, and really, there's, there's four options. And you are one of these. And I, I would ask you, don't, don't circle one until I go through all four of them so that you know where you are. And then we'll put them on the screen so that you can see uh, what these are. But the first one is just, A, I'm already a follower of Jesus. If you're here today, you're following Jesus, you're walking with the Lord, you've you're here to say, hey, I'm, I'm ready to celebrate Easter and just the goodness that God's done. I'm, I'm already in a relationship with Jesus. The, the second one is this. It's B, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I, I want to begin that today, that maybe you've had doubts, maybe you've had questions, maybe you've been wrestling with some things, and, and today you're just saying, you know what, it's time. It's time for me to begin that relationship and I, I want to begin it today, and, and I don't have it all figured out, and I don't have all the answers, and, and there's still a lot of things that I need to work out, but I want to take that little step, and I, I want to begin that with the Lord today. The third one is C, and it's just I want to commit again to following Jesus. There are some of you who you were following Jesus at one point, and life got in the way. There was some distractions, there were things, there was, maybe, maybe it was sin, maybe it was just the busyness of life, but, but there have been things, and, and you, again, this isn't about religion, it's about relationship, and you just, you haven't been in step with your Lord and Savior. You haven't been walking with Him the way that you once did. You can look back, and you remember that there was a time that you were in a closer walk with Jesus, and and you've just kind of abandoned that, and, and today you want to say, I want to commit again to following Jesus. Not believing intellectually about Jesus, but actually following Jesus and doing what he asks me to do. Stopping doing certain things and starting doing other things. Following his teachings and doing what he calls. And then there's a last one. It just says, D, I don't think I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm not ready for that yet. I, listen, if, if that's you today, I, I'd rather you be honest and circle D than for you to circle uh, one of these others and, and just be unauthentic. That Here's what you need to know. Uh, we want to be a church that is a welcoming place for those of you who would say, hey, D, I'm, I'm just not ready yet. I, I don't intend to follow Jesus yet. I mean, maybe, maybe in the future, I got a lot of questions I got to work out. Um, we want you to know it's a safe place for you. We want to be a church where you can be here and wrestle through those questions and be loved while you wrestle through those questions. So A is I'm already a follower. B is I'm going to begin that relationship with Jesus today. C is I'm going to commit again to following Jesus. And D is I just, I don't think I'm ready yet. I'm not, not quite ready today. And I want you to take just 10 seconds, and I'd love it if every single person in here, whether you're on staff whether this is your first time here, whether you've been here for years, if all of you, including those of you in the back, those of you who are ushers, if all of you would actually take a moment and fill this out, I would love it if every single person in this room would fill this out. And after you have filled it out, if you'll just bow your heads, 
I'll know that we're ready to pray and I'll, I'll lead us in a prayer and we'll close this portion of the service. After you've filled it out, if you'll just bow your heads, close your eyes, I'll know we're ready to pray. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for your presence that's here. Thank you for these stories, these encounter moments with the risen Lord Jesus. Thank you that they're able to help us understand how we can encounter you today, the kind of people that you're drawn to. Lord, thank you for the power of your word to penetrate our hearts, to help us understand that you're drawn to the brokenhearted. You're drawn to those who have doubts. You're drawn to those who have failed and have no capacity of fixing themselves. And yet you come to us and say, even in your brokenness, I offer hope and restoration. Lord, thank you for those that marked A, who are walking with you and in relationship with you. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged today, that you would pour out your spirit on them that you would continue to give them strength to do all that you've called them to do. And Lord, I, I pray especially for those who marked B, those who are ready to, to begin a relationship with you today. And if you marked B, I just want to lead you through a prayer. And you can just kind of pray this prayer quietly to yourself. But just pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me in spite of my brokenness, in spite of my doubts, in spite of my sin and my failure. and Lord, thank you that you have pursued me, that you brought me here to this moment, to this day, that you've led me here to just pour out your spirit in my life. And Lord, I receive you today. I want to take that small step forward and open the door of my heart to you. I don't even know what all this means, but I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Ask that you would be Lord of my life. Help me, empower me to follow you because I can't do it in my own strength. But I need you, Lord. I, I recognize this morning I need you. I don't even know all that it means, but I know that I need you and I receive you today. I choose to follow you, Jesus, today. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be Lord. And those of you who marked C, I just pray over you. Lord, I, I ask that you would encourage those that have once walked with you and fallen away for whatever reason. May today be a day that they would recommit and do something different. Lord, help us to not follow the same patterns. Help us to not just check a box and say yes in this service and then not do something different later. But Lord, that we would, we would choose to follow you in a different way that we wouldn't just try to be more like you, that we would intentionally train and do the things your word tells us to do, to be the followers you've called us to be. Lord, we need you. We can't do it in our strength. And I pray for those who mark D, Lord. May you continue to work in their hearts. I'm so thankful that even marking D doesn't turn you away, but it actually causes you to pursue. So Lord, I pray that you would help those that are here that aren't yet to follow you yet, that you would just continue to pursue them with your love. Help us to be a church that continues to pursue them with love. May we be a grace-filled place. 
that even for those who haven't yet decided to follow you would feel comfortable and loved and welcome. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.